The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. The drop in stocks comes on more disappointing economic news out of China. An industry survey shows China's services sector saw its slowest growth this year in August. Meanwhile, China's Country Garden Holdings has averted default on its dollar debt by paying coupons on two bonds within their grace periods. We get more on the troubled developer from Bloomberg's China credit editor Kevin Kingsbury in Hong Kong. Certainly, it takes a worry off the table right now that they've made these $22.5 million worth of payments. comes on top of extending a yuan bond by three years over the weekend and making a separate payment of about $600,000 on a offshore bond as well. So it kind of shows that we were even talking about a payment of $600,000. It would sound like peanuts, um, but it just shows just how much worry there has been about Country Garden that each and every payment has gotten um, some increased scrutiny as to whether or not this company is going to be able to survive and be able to get through this rough patch here without any defaults. Bloomberg's Kevin Kingsbury says the payments buy Country Garden time as it tries to sort through $187 billion of liabilities. Meanwhile, Nathan, Bloomberg Economics says China may never eclipse the U.S. as the world's biggest economy. Their forecast shows China's GDP may briefly surpass that of America in 2040, but even then, it will happen by only a small margin before falling back behind. Before the pandemic, the expectation was that China would be the leading economy by the start of the next decade. And staying with the economy, Karen, one major Wall Street firm thinks the U.S. may avoid contraction. Let's get that story from Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. Nathan Goldman Sachs has grown more confident the U.S. can skirt a recession. They've lowered the odds to 15 percent from 20 percent. So why the change? The firm's chief economist, Jan Hansi, says, among other things, solid job growth will boost wages. At the same time, he says, cooling inflation may keep the Federal Reserve from raising interest rates any further. Hansi says a September rate hike by the Fed is off the table, and the hurdle for a November hike is significant. Goldman's 15% recession estimate well below a Bloomberg consensus of 60%. The firm is also more optimistic than peers in U.S. economic growth, predicting an average 2% pace through the end of next year. In New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Radio. All right, John, thanks. Well, another call out of Goldman this morning, this one on the equity side. Strategists led by Peter Oppenheimer say AI is not a bubble, saying the rally can continue. Goldman names 11 U.S. stocks as near-term beneficiaries of the AI revolution, including NVIDIA, Microsoft, and Meta. Well, Karen, a big payday is in store for bankers working in one of the year's most highly anticipated IPOs. Sources tell Bloomberg investment banks working on Arm Holdings' initial public offering are set to share upwards of $100 million in fees from the chip designer's listing. The SoftBank-owned Arm is poised to pay the banks 2% of the $5 billion it's seeking to raise in the IPO. 
Well, Nathan, we may have a takeover in the works. Bloomberg News has learned private equity firm Toma Bravo is in advanced talks to buy health records software company NextGen Healthcare. NextGen, which rose 6% on Friday, up another 10% in early trading. Two stocks being added to the S&P 500 are also on the move, Karen. Both Blackstone and Airbnb are up more than 5%. The two will replace Lincoln National and Newell Brands prior to the start of trading on September 18th. Well, let's turn to Washington now, Nathan, and some news on Jill Biden's health. The White House says the first lady tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday. The president was tested last night and came back negative. President Biden is set to attend the G20 summit in India this weekend. The White House is not saying whether the first lady's diagnosis will affect his travel plans. In the meantime, Karen, Elon Musk is blaming the U.S. Anti-Defamation League for the slump in advertising revenue at his social platform X. We get that story from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. Ad sales are still down 60%. Musk posting primarily due to pressure on advertisers mounted by ADL. He, in a series of posts, says it has been, quote, trying to kill the platform since he bought it, falsely accusing it and him of being anti-Semitic. Musk says it is a pro-free speech platform, but against anti-Semitism of any kind. He says he is as well. He says legal action is an option. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Ed, thanks. So we now turn to labor unrest overseas. Chevron's liquefied natural gas workers in Australia are threatening two weeks of 24-hour rolling outages at two major export plants. It's an escalation of a dispute that is threatening global fuel supply. We caught up with Colin Parfit, Chevron's vice president of Midstream at the Gas Tech Conference in Singapore. We're committed to find a solution there, and we, we want to find a solution that's a win-win-win. We want to find it as a win for Chevron, a win for our employees, and a win for the gas markets. And Chevron's Colin Parfit says the company has not canceled or delayed any LNG shipments as a result of the strike threat. All right, Nathan, thanks. And time now for a look at some of the other stories making news around the world. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Amy Morris. Amy, good morning. Good morning, Karen. Congress returns to Capitol Hill today after its summer recess, facing a possible government shutdown in just a few weeks. Paul Helmke is a professor of practice at the O'Neill School of Public and Environmental Affairs. He's also the founding director of the Civic Leaders Learning Center at Indiana University. In order to avoid a government shutdown, we need to have our elected representatives start thinking about the common good and majority rule um, and the importance of the budget rather than uh, fighting out their their fringe partisan uh, agendas. Professor Helmke says current partisan rancor in Washington makes it highly likely that there will be no continuing resolution, much less a full budget. A heat wave is expected to bring 100 degree temperatures to tens of millions of Americans this week. It is likely to be between the lower and high 90s today in places like Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., New York City and Chicago. D.C. and Baltimore are under hot weather emergency declarations through Thursday, and a heat advisory is in place in New York City through Wednesday night. It's been about 17 months since Republican governors from Texas and Arizona started sending thousands of migrants to D.C., Los Angeles, and New York City, along with other cities, in protest of President Biden's border policies. The Washington Post reports there are more questions now about short-term shelter as those buses 
keep coming. SAMU First Response says D.C. has received about 60 busloads of asylum seekers since May, raising the total number of buses sent to the district in the past year to 239. In New York, State Attorney General Letitia James is calling for coordination between federal, state, and city officials. New York Governor Kathy Hochul and New York City Mayor Eric Adams have been exchanging letters in recent weeks, but Letitia James says that doesn't help. The letters, the accusations, the recriminations don't serve anyone. And what we really need is someone to coordinate. And so I would urge everyone to get together in a room um, or on a Zoom call to appoint a, uh, a migrant czar. More than 100,000 migrants have arrived in New York City over the past year, with more than half of them overwhelming the city's shelter system. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Amy Morris. This is Bloomberg. Karen. All right, Amy, thank you. It's time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. For that, we bring in John Stashauer. John. Karen, it was a busy week one of college football. The entire preseason top 25 playing over a five-day span. Mostly no upsets. There was a big one Saturday when Colorado won at TCU. There was also an upset last night. Leonard from the shotgun takes the snap. Quick look to the left. Tucks to run straight ahead trying to break a tackle. He does! He's got a first down and more! 30-20! Leonard! Touchdown! My goodness! Fairfield Sports, the call. Duke upset ninth-ranked Clemson 28-7. It's the Blue Devils' first win over a team ranked in the top 10 since 1989. U.S. Open saw top seed Carlos Alcaraz advance to the quarterfinals. A straight-set victory. Alex Zverev won his match over Yannick Sinner at 1.40 a.m. New York time. The match went 4 hours, 41 minutes. Two upsets on the women's side. Third-seeded Jess Pagula trounced by a fellow American Madison Key 6-1-6-3. And Anz Jabor lost to Zhang Kinan 2-4. and four. Baseball saw Baltimore beat the Angels 6-3. The Red Sox won 7-3 at Tampa Bay. They had lost their last 13 games at Tampa. The Giants were shut out by the Cubs 5-0 as Cub pitcher Justin Steele improved to 16-3. Eight innings allowed, only two hits, struck out 12. The A's lost at Toronto 6-5 in 10 innings. Also, Minnesota won at Cleveland 20-6. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager, and we are heading into a holiday shortened trading week with losses for stocks pretty much across the board around the world. Yet more weak economic data out of China, this time in the services sector, is putting a damper on sentiment after a week that saw the S&P 500 rise 2.5% on encouraging economic data for the U.S. So let's get this trading week started. We're joined by Lori Calvacina, the head of U.S. equity strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Lori, it's great to speak with you as always. What does 
does ongoing weakness in China mean for investments here in the U.S.? Hi, well, thanks for having me, as always. And look, I think there are two issues whenever we see you know, sort of weakness in China is, one, what does that mean for U.S. equity markets from a flow perspective? Um, China was one of the hot trades to start the year. There was a lot of negative uh, views on the U.S., and we've really seen that reverse you know, in recent months. Um, unfortunately, we're not getting those inflows into U.S. equity funds, especially on the large cap side right now. So we'll need to watch that. But secondly, what are the spillover effects um, into the U.S. economy? And right now, uh, the vote seems to be that they'll be minimal. Um, the U.S. economic outlook seems to be improving. Um, if you look at some of the calls that are being made around the street today, um, while the, the view on China and even Europe, frankly, seems to be softening. So I think those are really the two you know, kind of cross currents that are somewhat conflicting that we have to keep an eye on. Now, I would be curious to get your call. What your, uh, your team at uh, RBC are thinking, uh, with, particularly now that we've gotten the, this call from Goldman Sachs, that the uh, chance for a recession in the U.S. is now down to, what, 15 percent. Are you that bullish? Well, you know, it's interesting. We watch, you know, we, we watch we watch the Goldman call. Um, they're certainly quite prolific and vocal. Um, and, and I think they've had, a, you know, sort of a good sense of where things are headed in terms of broader sentiment. Um, but we've also been watching very closely that consensus data point tracked by Bloomberg, which has been sort of stubbornly stuck at the 60 percent level and not moving, even though the news flow around the economic discussion has been improving. Um, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with that latter data set, but I do think this call today is interesting. You know, I have the luxury of being a U.S. equity strategist, not an economist, so I make calls on the market um, as opposed to, to that GDP forecast directly. But what I do tell clients is it feels to me, and, you know, this is something we were saying early last year, um, that it, this really smells more like 2015-2016, where the economic damage may not quite end up being a recession, maybe something, you know, sort of a cousin to a recession. But regardless, you know, my job is to call the equity markets. And I think we priced in a recession last October. Whether or not we get one still remains to be seen. But I think we paid the price for one that we may not even end up getting. So where do you see the momentum for stocks at this point with the, with the, with the way that the economic backdrop looks right now? So I think that stocks are at an interesting point. Um, you know, we, we've noted, uh, similar to some of my other competitors on the street, that sentiment has gotten a little bit stretched over the summer. That's something we haven't liked. The appeal of stocks relative to bonds has been worsening. I mean, that has actually been showing up in the flows, which is a little bit of a concern to me, especially heading into sort of a seasonally tough period of the year. The last five or six years, August through October, has not been a friend to the U.S. equity market. Um, that being said, the economic narrative does seem to be improving a little bit at the margin. I think that the conference season that we're heading into now post Labor Day has historically proven very, very valuable to investors because we can get answers to some extent to questions on whether or not those spillover effects from China will end up influencing the U.S. We know from the last reporting season uh, and really the one before it that whatever this is economically is starting. We are starting to see pockets of weakness um, in certain parts of the consumer, certain parts of the corporate psyche. Um, how bad you know that is really getting, I think, is going to be a key topic uh, in this conference season in the next few weeks. I know one aspect of the market that you watch pretty closely is the impact of politics. Uh, we do have the prospect of a government shutdown at the end of this month. Is that something that you're concerned about? Is that something that you're warning your clients about? You know, we, we've been talking a little bit more about the election than the government shutdown. And frankly, we've been getting more questions on the election next year than the government shutdown. But I do think, you know, we are starting to hear more rumblings about this potential shutdown just over the last week or so. 
And in a context in which, you know, you sort of enter into, again, this seasonally kind of tough period for markets, um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I do think that equity investors tend to think when these issues come up that it will go down to the wire, it will get resolved at the end. So you really, you know, probably won't see it take too much of a hit until you really get close, you know, to that particular, you know, date of stress. Um, But it is, you know, it it is definitely a concern. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.